then really setting realistic expectations of what you want and what you need. So that's one of the first things we always ask people. It's like, okay, what is what is it that you want for your company and what do you really need to live on for the rest of your life? And is it feasible? Does it make sense? From Ray and Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow as a leader while helping your organization to grow and thrive. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, visit our website at www.raycpa.com slash podcast and sign up for updates. If there's one thing that never goes out of style, it's succession planning. That's because owners certainly want to ensure that the business they've dedicated their lives to is going to provide them with a desirable outcome, all while allowing them to retire worry-free. While planning for an ownership transition isn't necessarily the easiest task you'll undertake, it can be rewarding, particularly if you work with the right advisors. Tim Jamison has been the right advisor for many business owners over the years. As a CPA and director at Prairie Capital Advisors, Tim has helped pave the way through many ownership transitions. On today's episode of Unsuitable, he's going to give us a few tips that will help you get started on your own path. Welcome to Unsuitable, Tim. Yeah, Doug, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and excited about talking about this content that uh, I basically live and breathe every day. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And of course, in today's environment, it's it's so vital. I mean, we we just have seen, particularly over the last couple of years, a, a real escalation, at least in, in my, you know, small sample size of, of being out there in, in the market, just a, an escalation of closely held firms that are looking to transition in one form or another. Would, would you agree that, that that activity has been, continues to be robust? Yeah, I think we're actually seeing unprecedented levels of ownership over the last couple of months. I expect to see that continue through 2021. Uh, 2020 was obviously a very weird year uh, with several months where there were no transactions going on at all because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then things really picked up toward the latter part of the year. We had a very busy fourth quarter with a lot of year-end closings, both on the ESOP and M&A side really translated into a really strong 2021 and we expect it to be extremely active and very vibrant for the rest of the year and into next year as well. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think it, it certainly is, it, like I said, feels that way to me when, when I'm out there uh, in front of folks. And, and you mentioned a couple of different types of transition there in, in the beginning. And, and certainly we've seen all of those, whether they be uh, ESOP transactions, you know, outside third-party M&A style transactions, inside uh, deals to, to existing management or, or family members. Walk us through maybe from a high level, each of the, the kind of the, the nuances of, of those. Yeah. So if you think about how you can transition the owner of your company we really break it in two brackets, an external sale and an internal sale. And the external sale is really a third-party transaction where you're selling to another company or a private equity firm. 
And, and so we have an M&A group that does both of those activities to, to sell your company outright. And there's a lot of advantages to that. You might have uh, a really strategic party that could really help acquire you and take your company to the next level. And then a private equity firm can really come in also and invest a lot of capital and, and really take the company to the next level as well. And, and those types of sales are really good for those business owners who are really looking to cash out mm-hmm. as much of their money, if not all their money as possible at closing, and then walk away and really have limited to no involvement with the business ongoing from there. Some private equity firms will be passive and will require management to stay on board for some period of time. But a third-party sale to a strategic, you could most likely exit right away or after a very short period of time. And even with a PE sale, the length of time that you would be required or they would want you to stick around is probably limited in nature. And so you have those external sales and then you have the internal sales, which could be other people within your company, a management buyout, leverage buyout is another term for it. So you're selling your company to a key manager or key managers to basically take over the company from there. It could be a family transfer. We do a lot of um, work with families that are second, third, fourth generation. So you're basically just passing the shares or willing the shares or staking the shares down from generation to generation. And then the third internal sale that we uh, do a ton of work in is, is the uh, ESOP world, employee stock ownership plans, where you're basically essentially selling all the shares of your ownership into a trust. And the employees actually get the beneficial value of those shares over time. I actually own the shares, the shares in our trust, but the trust is a tax exempt passive entity. And it's really a way to build retirement wealth and really reward your employees for helping build the company that you had built over time. So all of those mechanisms can be put into play for those business owners who maybe aren't necessarily looking to exit right away, aren't necessarily looking to get the very top dollar for their company or maybe not wanting every uh, single cent of cash at closing either. And ESOP's a really good example of that. And ESOP has to be done. If, so and fair market value would be $20 million in an ESOP transaction. But a third party, whether a strategic company or a private equity firm, might look at that company and say, look, if I do X, Y, and Z to this company, I can improve profits. So I'm willing to pay $25 million for it. Right. And ESOP can't look at it that way. So ESOP could be done at 20 million. And most people will say, well, why in the world would you ever sell your company for 20 million when you can sell it for 25? Well, a lot of business owners, 20 million is like perfectly plenty sure. with an extra 5 million. And they know if they sell outright to a third party that they're going to lose control, the culture, the legacy, all those things may change. So for those business owners who are really motivated by keeping the culture intact or enhancing it, really maintain their legacy and rewarding the employees long-term and are willing to stay on, stay around for a period of time after the sale and yeah. is, is a beautiful mechanism for them to do that. Yeah. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. The ones that, uh, you know, we've been involved in quite a few of those uh, over the last, you know, three or four years. And in general, they, they've worked very, very well. And again, from that perspective, it's, the, the employees really, you know, they buy in to that culture. They feel like, you know, there's more empowerment right. and they see the rewards over time as they see their statement, you know, grow year over year as, as, um, as the company continues to do well. And, uh, you know, that if that, as you said, if that's important to you, 
you know, some type of inside transaction works, whether it's uh, an ESOP, as you suggested, or to an existing uh, management team. It's interesting to me because I've heart, I've started to see I'm involved in a couple of third-party deals right now where they're in the midst of uh, due diligence, looking at purchasing some clients of ours. And I see these third-party folks, whether they're strategic or PE, trying to push back against that and say, oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to come in and and the culture won't change and right. we're not going to do these things. I've found that to be generally pretty, pretty much not the case right. in the deals I've seen last couple of years. I don't know what your experience has been on that. No, no that's, that's exactly right. I'm actually working with a prospect now who's considering a, a third party sale to a private equity firm, but he also wants to explore an ESOP. And that's the whole reason he's concerned about the culture and legacy of the company going forward. And he understands that a private equity firm is, is making an investment in the company. They're going to do what they need to do to maximize that investment. And look, there's nothing wrong with selling to a PE firm. It's absolutely the wrong for a lot of business owners. It's why we as a firm really offer both M&A and ESOP services because it's really a case-by-case basis. But absolutely, if you're concerned about culture, legacy, the long-term Long, long longevity, if you will, of your employees, stop is absolutely going to be a better play in a third party sale. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and obviously there's there's so much liquidity out there in the market, you know. So these these private equity firms and and even strategic buyers, you know, they've got to deploy this capital, right. you know. So they're they're very hungry for deals, and and obviously they're going to be aggressive, but in order to make the the return on those deals work. You know they've they've got to be aggressive in, you know, squeezing out as as much cash flow out of that that operation as they can. So, For sure, you know, different certainly different environment, different motivation. You mentioned the the current outlook, obviously being quite strong through the the remainder of this year, and you know, it looks like certainly into into next year. What you know, if if I'm a a typical closely held business owner. What are the th- some of the things that I'm I'm not thinking about? You know, maybe I'm very involved and I know the operations of my business, but you know, what about de-risking that business to make it more attractive? Or, or are there things that they typically don't think about until the the deal gets underway? Yeah, I think there's a few things you can do to really prep the company for sale. Uh, first and foremost is understand the time constraints. So we deal with a lot of business owners. And in the third, fourth quarter of the year, well, I really want to sell my company before the end of the year. It's like, well, you, honestly, you should have started several months ago uh, because doing a third-party M&A transaction could take upwards of eight to 12 months if everything goes well. An ESOP transaction, we, we typically say four to six months. It's quicker. It's more controllable. It's more friendly. But still, it's a four to six-month process. So if someone you know wakes up one morning, you know October 5th, and said, okay, I want to sell my company by the end of the year, that's, that's going to be really, really difficult to do. Timing is probably first and foremost, be thinking about it in advance. But, you know, get your financial records in order. You may have never had a CPA firm like Ray do a review or an audit. It's all internal. A, a third-party buyer, whether it's an ESOP or an M&A or private equity firm, is, is going to want to see some financial statements that are prepared by someone else. Mm-hmm. So reach out to a local CPA firm and get some of those financial records put in order. So it, it just makes the uh, sale process that much easier. 
Same thing with legal records. If you don't have, you know, really good board of directors minutes or articles of incorporation or all those things, get all that stuff put in place. So talk to a CPA firm, talk to your lawyer, talk to an advisor like Prairie and and start prepping the company for sale months before you get into it. Because have all those things lined up, you can get into the transaction. The transaction will still get done, but it's just going to add time. It's going to add cost and it's going to add stress. So basically planning, planning, planning. Absolutely. I think that's, that's certainly sage advice. One of the other things I think that we see uh, as we get you know started with the initial stages of, of a deal, if, if it's not uh, somebody who's been involved in a transaction before is their lack of understanding of the level of due diligence that's going to take place, no matter which way that's done. Would would you concur with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that speaks to the advisors that they have on board. So nothing against really small CPA firms or small law firms, but for the most part, those small CPA firms and law firms who, who might do really good work aren't really versed, if you will, in transactions. So don't be afraid to upgrade to a really strong CPA firm like Ray. Don't be afraid to upgrade to a really good law firm that has lots of transactional experience. And then if you're going to do an ESOP, one of the first things we ask is like, okay, who's your law firm? And it could be a really good law firm, but if they don't have an ESOP specialist in place, we need to recommend a handful of ESOP people in the law, in the law field to really represent them because it is such a nuanced transaction. So really build a strong set of advisors even before you start the transaction, because Doug, you're exactly right. A lot of people just aren't transaction savvy or have transaction experience. And that's going to add, again, time, cost, and stress to the transaction. Yeah. And, you know, we get involved in, in some of these where, as you said, maybe they don't haven't had prior assurance work done related to their financials. Maybe it's just, you know, been a local CPA that's doing tax stuff or a small firm, as you suggest, and they right. think providing the financial records for due diligence for, you know, whether it's third party, inside sale, whatever, is, is going to be similar to providing the information to that CPA that they do for, you know, their annual tax work. And it's, you know, that's, it's probably 5% of that, if right. that you know, as you're well aware. And rightly so. I mean, think of it like, you know, they want to understand the value of that business. And, you know, you've got to understand, okay, what's, where are the risks in that business? Are there customer concentrations, all, all kinds of, you know, risks that are out there that they're going to want to try to mitigate to the best that they can so that they're capturing that value. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Do you guys now, you know, speaking of some of those like de-risking techniques, uh, did, will you assist a potential seller in terms of trying to mitigate some of those risks up front to help them through that process? Yeah, sure. So we're um, we're kind of full service in that regards. I mean, we won't do the work ourselves, but we can look at financial records. We can look at legal records, make some recommendations to bring the right people uh, on board, we can educate them about what a transaction looks like, especially on the ESOP front, because ESOP is is a very nuanced and a lot of people's minds very complicated. Actually, so I'm still waiting for the day when I can talk to a prospect one time about an ESOP and they sign up right after that first <laughs> meeting. It just hasn't happened yet, and I don't think it's ever going to, just because there's a ton of education and understanding what an ESOP actually is. So, been right. a lot of time up front educating 
making sure it is the right transaction for them, showing them the cash flows and bringing the right parties involved to help them with some of those matters. The other thing, Doug, to really think about uh, if you're going to transition your ownership is, is what's the next layer of management? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also something in, in your terminology, de-risking. Management succession is, is huge. Whether you're selling to a third party or even to an ESOP, is that buyer, whether it's a financial or strategic buyer, is going to look at, okay, Mr. Business Owner, you're running the company. Who are the next two people in line after you and after them? And what, what is your transition and succession really look like? And to the extent you don't have one, it's going to drive value down. To the extent you have a really strong one, it's going to drive value up. And that's true in any type of ownership transition uh, plan. So that's a, that's a huge de-risking issue. If you say, yeah. I, I want to sell my company tomorrow, but I kind of am, am the company, even there's really no one to take my spot, you're going to have a hard time finding a buyer at a price that you're going to be happy with. So man, succession yeah. is a huge part of that de-risking component that you're speaking of. Yeah, I, I concur. And, and we see that, I think, more and more outside third-party users of financial information, regardless of whether there's an M&A transaction pending, they're, they're pushing that too. Right. I hear that more and more from the banks, you know, financing providers uh, of credit, um, surety providers, for example, in construction, you know, that that's, that's a huge area of risk. And, you know, if you think about it in today's world, you've got a, a large segment of population, the baby boom generation, you know, reaching that retirement age, or at least phase where they want to, uh, you know, slow down and not be as devoted to that entrepreneurial creation, perhaps. And so it's really incumbent upon management to try to continually assess that and develop that. And you see that there's, you know, we we even see this with family deals where, you know, maybe the the next generation is, is working in the company, but sometimes they, they have no interest in actually running right. that business, right. you know? Yeah, it's, it's, so you- it's amazing how many second, third generation companies we deal with that are ready to sell out because that next generation either is in the business and doesn't want to be or just doesn't want any part of it. Or we run in situations like, yeah, my son, who's fourth generation, he's in the business, but he's not capable of running this. So yeah. Let's structure a deal that protects him I want him involved, but I can't turn it over to him. Right. So it's, yeah, family dynamics come into play all the time. For sure. And it takes a lot to to recognize that. I think, I feel like sometimes we become, you know, pseudo counselors in, in that sense, you know, it's okay to, to have these conversations. It's, it's our job to try to get all those parties to the table and initiate some of that, that dialogue, which, which can be challenging, right. as she said. Yeah, the, the, the counselor part of it's, uh, it's it's pretty key. I joke that a large part of my job is actually working with business owners, helping figure out the right transition, uh, convincing them to use us, quite honestly, versus yeah. my competitors. And then once the transaction gets going, I become therapist and <laughs> right. counselor. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of conversations during the transaction that have nothing to do with the transaction whatsoever in terms of the numbers. And it's emotional too at the oh, end of yeah. the day because whatever structure takes place, you know, all of a sudden they they no longer own it or or control it, perhaps, you know, even though they might still be involved. That's that's emotional. There there's so many business owners that I that I've worked with during my time in prayer and even beforehand where the business that they're selling is like a child. And it, yeah. it's something they've done 
for so many years. And in many cases, they started in a basement or a garage with one other person and they built it to a multi-million dollar company. And it's hard to let go. It's yeah. hard to let go of a huge part of your life. And so it does become very psychological and um, it's, it's tough. We've had in the course of our firm's history over 25 years, I've been with the firm over five years. I've had a couple of cases just in my short time where the business owner wanted to walk right before we got to closing. He, he just did. He just got to wow. and said, I don't want to do this. And in one case, uh, his wife said, oh, you're absolutely going to sell the company. You're not walking away. It just <laughs> becomes, um, it becomes a very hard thing to do. It's yeah. hard to let go. Well, it's it's funny you say that too. It it really becomes part of the identity, and and frankly, the most successful businesses, the the owner really is part of that identity and brand. And in fact, this it's funny. This dovetails quite nicely with Brad Cerconi, uh, our wonderful uh, producer here, has uh, his own podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll give him a plug, bringing the the brand back together, and. You know, if you listen to some of the the entrepreneurs that he talks to on on his podcast, it really those those very successful ones they are part of that identity, right. which makes it even harder for those types of folks, those successful folks, to let go. Absolutely. You know, so with with that in mind, you know, certainly smooth ownership transitions are possible, and and we've seen those be successful. What in your mind, Tim, are maybe the the top two or three takeaways if I'm a business owner that can help prep me to to make that successful? Yeah, I think upfront planning. I mean, having a really concrete plan of hey, I want to exit in the next year, two years, three years, six months, whatever that is, and really start backwards from there. Uh, really put together a strong team. So, so Prairie's a registered investment bank that does valuation and financial advisory work. We don't do legal work. We don't do wealth management. We don't do accounting work. We can help bring those parties together, but you really need a whole cohesive team and family to help with that transition, legal, accounting, wealth management, things of that nature. So putting that team together and really setting realistic expectations of what you want and what you need. So that's one of the first things we always ask people. It's like, okay, what is what is it that you want for your company and what do you really need to live on for the rest of your life? And is it feasible? Does it make sense? And then kind of move from there. So I think all that really is around planning and just putting the team together and having a really solid set of expectations. Because there's nothing worse than talking to a business owner who says, I think my company's worth $50 million and I'm not taking a penny less. And you get into it and it's worth 25. And it's like, I, I, I just can't, I can't get you to 50. I mean, I just can't. So just having a really solid set of expectations. Yeah, I think that's so well said. Oftentimes we hear that too. I mean, I'm out in the, you know, obviously out in the community, you'll, you'll hear noise. Oh, I was talking to so-and-so, my friend at the club or this or that. And they said they got, you know, eight times right. for their company. And it's just like, well, did they really? Or, <laughs> or, you know, I mean, you know how that goes. Exactly. So you can start somewhere, but let's let's talk about real right. realistic expectations. And and again, to your point, that's you've got to have all those parties together to treat any of this as if it's in a silo. I think right. you do yourself a disservice for sure. Yeah. I mean, we get, I got asked by someone today about tax advice and I was like, I, I, we need to call your accountant. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm actually a CPA and still have my certificate, uh, but I'm not going to give someone tax advice 
you know, two or three times out of the year when there's people that do it for a living all day long. So let's bring the right parties in and get the right answer. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Let everybody be the expert in where they truly are right. an expert. You'll get maximum value that way. Absolutely. And we say the same thing, you know, when we get approached, well, you know, yeah, we can, we can assist. There's parts, you know, the tax advice, the planning, things like that, but we're not investment bankers either, right. you know, and that's where we want, we want to talk to somebody like you that, Hey, you're out in the market doing this every day. Right. You know, right. Let's, so uh, let's let the people be experts of what they're experts in. And it'll, it'll definitely pay off for the business owner for sure. Absolutely. Well, that's, it's sage advice, uh, Tim. I really appreciate uh, you being on today and, and certainly look forward to having you on again in the future as we continue to monitor certainly trends in, in, uh, you know, the M&A world as it, as it relates to uh, owner-managed businesses. So Absolutely. Thank, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 